0: Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShaw.net Interview Season The priest's niece and the local GAA All-Star. I remember my first ever job interview for teaching. I was still studying at the time in Aberystwyth in Wales and I was so excited when I got my first call. I didn't drive uh, so I had to get the train up to Birmingham, get a flight from Birmingham to Dublin, get the bus from Dublin to Balanagh and then a taxi out to the village where the interview was going to be. As you probably won't be surprised to hear, the interview took place in the priest's house. And I remember being ushered in very quickly uh, by what I, who I presume was the housekeeper. And I sat there waiting for my interview as a young woman uh, was in there and I saw her leaving. I actually, I'm pretty sure she was wearing a tracksuit. Uh, and I remember uh, how the housekeeper was far more friendly to her than she had been to me anyway long story short uh, when i didn't answer the question about um upholding the ethos of the school and so on uh, the right way which is just to answer the question saying yes without anything further i lasted about five minutes my 28 hour journey to county mayo ended with a five minute interview you also might not be surprised to hear that I didn't hear whether I got the job or not, but a few weeks later, I guess, um, the answer was in the silence. Um, I presume the young woman who was there before me got the job. Yes, in this episode, I'm going to grasp another nettle, the job interview and nepotism. And what I've learned over the last 20 years is that my experience isn't unusual. So why is it? that so often that the priest's niece or the local GAA celebrity have jobs waiting for them. And what what is the reason behind that? And why do we all know about it but never talk about it? And what would I do if I were the Minister for Education? hello hello this is simon lewis from onshaw.net with if i were the minister for education a regular podcast where i look at the world of primary education and wonder what i would do if i were the minister for education you can subscribe to this podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps and please tell your teacher friends or anyone else who you think might be interested in primary education about the podcast and if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the others please leave a review now Coming up to interview season, I was approached by someone that's been working in the system for a number of years and hasn't managed to get a permanent post. Now, you'll probably be thinking, "What? Oh, there must be a reason for that if they haven't got a job yet. Maybe this person's a raging heathen like myself, or maybe this person is what some people describe as difficult But you'll have to trust me when I tell you the person that I'm talking about and that approached me isn't. They seemed, and I mean this in the best way possible, they seemed normal. Their story probably resonates with you and I'm going to read just a snippet of it because it's not going to give away who they are and to be honest, it could be probably anybody's story. Here it is. I've come across so many stories that are demoralising. Schools waiting for both panels to clear so that they can go to open competition, and then they can give the job to someone they know. And then for non-permanent roles, it goes to the principal's newly qualified niece or the priest's nephew or the fella who's big into playing GAA, instead of the teachers applying with years of qualifications and experience. I've gone to interviews where I was told afterwards who got the job and that it is always going to be theirs. I've been to interviews where they ask the same questions again and again, even though I was answered fully and correctly the first time, but it's as if they are trying to trip me up so I look bad. I found out after it went to an NQT they knew, or NQT that they knew. Another interviewer principal walked me out the door after and said, well done, you gave a really good interview, but, you know... The job was already gone. It beggars belief. Having come to teaching late and therefore having the experience of working in the private sector for over 15 years, I was always hired on merit with a level playing field, so to speak. It got me thinking. So many people have their teaching job stories and I wondered if after listening to all these stories, whether a solution would emerge. I also wanted to check in with my Twitter followers to see what sort of advice they might have for people looking for jobs, so I simply asked the following on my Twitter account. I'm looking at doing a podcast episode on job interviews in primary schools. I'd love to hear people's experiences, thoughts, both good and bad, and any ideas for improving things. I want to examine theories around, is there such thing as a permanent job anymore? How ubiquitous is nepotism? Have you any interview stories, interview coaching and ethos and interviews? So for me, it was really, really interesting to hear some of those stories. And before I go on, um, I suppose um, I should say that I am someone who gives interviews. And one of the things that I promised myself having gone through that situation is that I would never be uh, one of those people that falls for the nepotism thing um, or anything like that. And I'm proud of the fact that I don't, Do that, Um, and also I probably should add that everything I'm saying is really has nothing to do with my own interview season that's coming up. This was all based on answers to that question in my Twitter feed. so anyway, that's out of the way, The, the what you call that um, when you, when you uh, make sure that you've said something. I can't remember the name anyway, but you get what I mean. Anyway, for obvious reasons, uh, I was, when I was listening to stories, most people didn't post their, their stories publicly. I got a hell of a lot of DMs and a few emails. And there was a mix of honest benefactors of the system to the frankly all too common bizarre stories of priests falling asleep in interviews. There were several stories of priests falling asleep in interviews. One NQT spoke about her interviews, calling them wildly mixed. She said some would be more focused on technical aspects of the role, others asked a lot about the ethos and everything in between. A very odd mix. And then she went and admitted that she got her current position through a family friend. So nepotism does help, but at the same time, the school said they couldn't get anybody to apply for their school. That's uh, her words, not mine. Um, I suppose going into this, I I thought I would divide it up into, you know, certain sections and certain certain themes. And so uh, what I wanted to do was really talk about maybe some of the stories that came through, some of the themes that came through, and hopefully by the end, uh, some advice. Uh, that came through from uh, principals who answered my question and people who give interviews. So um, if you can bear with a few stories, maybe some of them will be funny to you. Some of them will be, I suppose, you'll be covering your eyes with them or whatever it might be. Um, in fact, in a way, this isn't me being controversial for a change. Um, this is other people telling me their controversial stories. So I hope you enjoy it. I suppose if you're preparing for an interview, you might get a little bit of help, but you'll also get a few stories. But I suppose unsurprisingly to me, Uh, in some of the responses religion and let's get religion out of the way played a big factor in some of the stories a member of the interview panel was annoyed when this candidate wouldn't declare her religion this is uh, somebody who got in touch with me she wouldn't declare her religion they asked it and they asked if i felt like i would be a positive contribution to the school ethos and when the person said when when this person said to me that they would they didn't leave it at that the interview panel they followed up with well do you practice your Catholic faith? And well that was an illegal question to ask, who's going to take that on um, really and how would one prove it? So I had a few stories that were quite similar to that where people actually were directly asked if they if they practiced their Catholic faith. One teacher who uh, only works in special education spoke to me about a number of interviews that she had had in special schools where ethos, um, not additional needs dominated the interview, which was quite interesting given that there's very, very few special schools uh, that aren't under religious ethos. I think there's only two, oh no, there are about seven in the country. Um, anyway. Uh, She reckoned about 50% of the time of her interview was spent on Catholicism and very little focus on her capacity to support children with additional needs, uh, which was an interesting comment. And it goes without saying, it isn't just Catholic schools where this happens. In fact, I often joke that when my grandparents anglicised their surname from Lazarus to Lewis, it was inadvertently very useful for applying for Protestant schools for me. And you might laugh. But take a look at the websites of Church of Ireland schools and look at their surnames of the teachers. It can't be a coincidence, can it? Now, it's obviously not an exact science and some might argue, well, why wouldn't the Church of Ireland schools look after their own? But this is A kind of twisted logic that keeps the dominance of religion in our education system because the church of ireland community is so small i can't share the full story this person sent me but just to give you what i can and just quoting nepotism remains a feature of the irish school system regardless of the shortage issue it is particularly acute in church of ireland schools that's where her child went and as soon as the teacher retired in her daughter's school her son was recruited so not not the, so the, the teacher's son was recruited as a teacher even though he was just out of teacher training college um, you know and again that story is not going to um, cause any alarm bells in your head. It's a fairly regular story of the teacher retiring and then their child coming in <laughs> to take over. An area, though, I didn't think much about was how interviews affected neurodiverse candidates. And this is something that I suppose, um, I guess, when we're talking about diversity, and I talk about diversity a lot in this podcast, um, there's, it's, there's obviously going to be adults who are neurodiverse uh, candidates. And there's a growing number of adults being diagnosed with ADHD and autism. And I now know more teachers that are autistic than there are from an ethnic minority. I don't know what that says. It's not a judgment, but it's a big change. Only five years ago, I knew none. One of my favourite stories uh, was a funny one, Uh, maybe in hindsight because I'm sure it wasn't funny at the time. Here's what she said. I did an interview a few years ago where a new member of staff was named and welcomed in the newsletter on the school website, the day before the interview took place. That's brilliant. And then there was the bizarre ones. Uh, This is from someone. I remember reading on a forum about someone who'd gone for an interview and when she walked in, a member of the panel was eating a fry up. Interesting, I guess. I'm sure you've heard your fair share of stories, and I'm sure you've also experienced some. My own aren't particular funny or strange, but one of my more memorable experiences was travelling for the UK for an interview for a job that was already gone, and uh, I spoke about this in the um, in the introduction. And I suppose, given that I was getting used to the experience and how frustrating it was, I realised in the middle of my interview that the job was already gone. This is another interview I did. Sorry, I was getting good at it because... um, And I travelled again i traveled for ages to get there I, I spent a lot of time traveling to interviews i think i was trying to move out to the west of ireland at the time um and i didn't drive so it took it used to be you know relying on public transport uh, in ireland 20 years ago was not something um that was very reliable but uh yeah one of the bizarre situations anyways i realized in the middle of the interview look the job is already gone you could you could take you could get the feel the boredom and all the rest of it or maybe i was boring but you know you just knew you know you know, you know when you know and you kind of have to finish off the interview and the off chance that you wrong but um, I, I kind of knew so I kind of decided in the middle of it to say do you know what it just seemed like a good idea to tell the panel how long it actually had took me to get to the interview and how much it had cost me to come for the interview. Anyhow <laughs> the interview ended and uh, I went back to the b that I had to stay in and around 9 30 that evening there was a knock on my door of the b and uh, I hadn't obviously told um, anyone in the school that I was staying there anyway I went back uh, as I said there was a knock on the door and I answered and it was the priest from the panel um, and and he he basically came he came in I think I was fully clothed um, anyway and he said I oh, just felt bad that I traveled that far for nothing and he felt it was only right to tell me in person. Anyway, I'm sure you haven't tuned into this podcast to hear about my war stories and you might be more interested in the advice that people actually gave. I wanted to start with one person who doesn't like teachers making money for interview advice. And if you're looking for a job, there's no shortage of people out there offering advice for teacher interviews. In fact, I got a few DMs from people asking me to mention them on the podcast, which is very, very, very cheeky. Um, Or if I'd interview them so they could advertise their business. Um, Yeah, it's a bit cheeky. Uh, I'll grant them that. But to be honest, I'm surprised by the number of people that have set up businesses like this offering interview advice. But, But when I thought about it a little bit more, it made perfect sense in the end. And when I thought about it even more, not only does it make sense, I don't actually have a problem with it. I have no problem at all. In fact, I think these people are great. I know a lot of people give out about them on, the, on Twitter and they think, oh, this is terrible, it's manipulation and so on. But I think they're great. Now hear me out. But before you do, I want to explore why and how the ground was set for these teacher interviewer uh, experts. And I have to say, I lay the blame, if that's the right word, on the system, the education system that is. And I've already touched on the fact that because of the patronage structure, every school is an individual sort of application. So you can't apply for uh, you know, a job and that would be a job in a number of schools. You have to give an individual application to every school. Now, most of you will know all of you will know this in Ireland, but just in case you've international listeners, that's how it goes. And it makes no sense as we'll see later. And this has meant that the union has had to fight for very strong employment rights within this system because every school has its own fiefdom. So if a permanent job is lost in a school, um, You know, the the union had to figure out what are we going to do if every school is private. So the union basically created this panel system that's so complicated that they have to offer training to teachers on how it actually works. And even then, people don't really understand how it works. And to make things even more complicated, there isn't even just one panel for the loss of permanent jobs. There's a supplementary panel for teachers who build up work over a period of time in the sector and are thus entitled to permanent position. So the result of this, on top of general employment law in Ireland, is that there are very, very few permanent jobs advertised in Irish primary schools anymore, and this is because if you can find a school that has a viable temporary position for over two years, you will automatically get a permanent job, or a CID. Essentially, this means teachers these days leave permanent jobs more easily in the hope of gaining two or more years in a temporary position. Um, so if you're in a permanent job, it's really difficult to do that because you have to hope that the temporary jobs that you're applying for will last for more than two and a half years, two years, and they are um, viable positions. And back in my day, this would never happened. 20 years ago, you know, there were permanent jobs. You got a permanent job. There were loads of permanent jobs. Well, not loads, but there permanent jobs were permanent jobs. Um, now, this means that NQTs are vying for temporary positions now with very experienced people. So it makes sense that they would want to beef up their interview skills, hence going back to the reason why these teacher interview um, clinics uh, now are so ubiquitous. And I think, you know, that's that's fair enough. And a second reason, and I should state both this and the above are only an opinion based on an observation, is, and I think the other reason really is, um, as I said, for, for these job interview clinics, is the birth of the standard application form. Now, I blame the standard application form because when I was applying for jobs, you could do things with your application. You could you know, I think one of the, one of the bits of advice is you were given was to use a kind of a pink coloured page because it would stand out uh, against all the other uh, white sheets of paper and people might look at it more easily. But now with the standard application form, um, there's, well, by its by its very name, your interview is quite standard, your your application is quite standard. And the interview experts will offer templates Um of things for you to write and scaffolds to work with and so on. And they're generally of, I would say, good quality. Certainly if you're asking some of the hard, you know, if you've been asked some of the harder questions on the standard application form. Um, And that's obviously the ethos questions, uh, particularly if you're not familiar with the school's ethos. Um, And I would know that, obviously, in Educate Together because... Um, there's only I think is it three percent of schools are educate together, and uh, very very many people. I like think half of the teachers uh, training in colleges don't get a module. I mean, don't get a module in uh, the educate together ethos. So when they're applying for educate together jobs, um, it makes sense for these interview experts to give them you know a template response, um, uh, which they obviously should. Uh, change uh, to make personal to them um, and and um, you know very good advice first piece of advice make sure you do that if you give the template you know obviously that's not going to make you any different to everybody else who's using the template anyway the uh, upshot of all this is that anyone that pays for these interview services is going to have a decent application form at the end of the day the downside of course is that everybody else will too and and a further downside is that your application is going to look very much like somebody else's interview or application form. Now, I speak to lots of principals. And one of the things that comes up now is how bland and abstract applications have become as teachers now try to use catch-all application forms. And, you know, I can understand why teachers do that. If you're going to be applying for 300 jobs, why would you have 300 completely unique um, applications Um but, uh, but the downside of that is uh, your interview uh, is going to look, your application is going to look very bland i've always suggested and i've said this in previous um, blog posts about interviews and um, when i give my advice it's pick five schools that you really really want to work in and make sure you give a really really personalized application form not a generic one uh, going back to sorry these interview coaches i see a lot of people giving out about this enterprise and you know, I don't actually, I mean, I understand why they're doing it, but I don't understand why they're giving out. Why wouldn't people set up a side business to offer support to teachers looking for jobs? I mean, there seems to be a perception out there that teachers shouldn't have second jobs if their second job is related to teaching. And um, with the exception of grinds for some reason and part-time lecturing, or even full-time lecturing sometimes, Yo know, and writing for textbook companies, I don't see any difference Between someone doing giving grinds, someone part-time lecturing or writing textbooks for companies, I don't see any difference between any of them more traditional jobs, let's say, uh, than some of these new services emerging, whether they're interview coaching, social media influencing, making teacher planners, selling resources for the classroom or whatever people find their niche in. In fact, I love to see young teachers showing their displays and their ideas on social media. And you know what? I say Good luck to them, and I think you're great. Anyway, on to some other thoughts from the responses. Someone said to me, I think there should be a system for schools to openly admit they're going to rehire current staff members. It was a really interesting point and a really interesting thought. And time and time again, the feedback I got from people was the frustration around applying for jobs that were already gone. You know this. This is a kind of a thing. I don't know if it's if it's a thing anywhere else. But the idea that you know that people that schools have to advertise jobs, even though they already know who they want to hire, and they manipulate the interviews to ensure that the people they want to hire are uh, are basically hired. And many people were extra annoyed when you know uh, if the job is already gone, the job went to a relative of someone in the school, which is I think is absolutely fair enough. I mean they should be annoyed. That's kind of I I find that really. Apparent behavior you don't you know i i i mean i will generally defend schools when i can generally when i can defend schools i I think we do uh generally we do a wonderful job but when this sort of carry on where you're hiring your relatives uh, or ensuring that your uh, staff's relatives get jobs that's that's not cricket it's not cool and um it's not it's not good at all but what about the teachers that have worked for one year in a school and did a really good job should schools simply be able to give them another year without an interview and we do know some schools do this on the QT but legally all schools have to advertise these jobs and the reality is that if someone has already worked in the school for only a year and they fit it in well they're going to have an advantage. It's certainly frustrating for people outside applying for that job and it's frustrating for people after doing a year to have to interview again and it's frustrating to have to organize a panel to do the interviews and perhaps rather than getting schools to openly admit they are going to rehire their teachers there might be a system that skips that process and simply lets schools offer positions without interview this is obviously has more difficulties because i mean that sounds like a very obvious and easy solution but that is right reigned with loads of difficulties because what happens if you don't it's all well and good if the teacher does do a good job and you want to hire them for the second year and you can offer them the job but if you don't what if the teacher doesn't do do, do a good job and they were there for the year and they are the first teacher that you're kind of going oh yeah thanks very much and they're saying but haven't you hired you know everybody else that's been there for the year um look i don't have the answer to that question and i imagine nobody does which is probably why this issue arises all the time let's move on a bit i followed up by asking the people that um, what would make interviews better and fairer and this might be helpful for some of you listening now so i've, I've given you very little advice at the moment uh, i've been telling you kind of the problems Um so i asked people about you know to give their advice and um, as one respondent said I've been focusing on recruitment and I've been trying to make it as smooth and anxiety-free as possible and getting the best out of candidates. That was a comment from someone who's hiring. Now, there were a few suggestions from questions sent to candidates in advance to having fixed time for interviews, maybe the beginning of July and August, to the most popular response, which was for schools to inform candidates if they were successful or not in their application. I'm actually amazed in the era of email how a school can't simply send an email to say the position is now filled. I remember back in my day not being told, as I said in the introduction, whether I had a position or not. And I didn't say this in the introduction, but in my innocence, I emailed the priest after three weeks asking whether or not I got the job. I I didn't get a reply. And you probably won't be surprised to hear, I'm a bit thick. So I emailed again a week later to say, I haven't heard from you. And I remember his reply because it was odd to me at the time because it was only one line and it was, Simon, we couldn't give you the position. Make of that what you will. Speaking of things that still surprise me are the number of schools that ask for printed applications. And I can't understand why a school in this day and age are doing that. In this day and age, it makes no sense whatsoever. One of the more interesting questions to my question was from someone who believes so much so that nepotism is so rife in the system, that's a lot of so's, that he or she asked, Simon, could you look at the possibility of is it true that you get more points if you attended the school itself? And if so, why the hell so? (laughs) Initially, I laughed when I read the question as it seemed ridiculous. Of course, you don't get more points if you attended the school that you're interviewing for. And then I thought again. While it's unlikely that more points would be given officially, I thought back to a school I worked in, and lo and behold, there are quite a few people there that had attended the school as children. And it got me thinking more about the nepotism piece. And in the same school, and I promise you, this is no word of a lie. One year when I was teaching in one of the schools I worked in in the past, there were six sets of mother and daughters working in the school in some capacity six mother and daughter combos now if that (laughs) i don't know maybe maybe it was a coincidence i don't know the more and more i thought about this question and i've touched on it already is that the allegation of nepotism in primary education is a thing it's got grounds it surely has grounds and in some ways why wouldn't it you know, I was thinking, you know, it's, oh, it's terrible, it's ter- you know, and giving out, and we could spend the, the, this podcast giving out stink about schools doing that. But then, think about it again. Why wouldn't they be rife with nepotism? If somebody went to a school, or plays GAA locally, or is the niece of the local priest, or whatever, and these, you know, and these are the people that seem to be the ones being hired so often, well, there's no official points there's, you know, we, we have a problem. Do you know that these are the people being hired? And, and the reason why they're being hired is because they're known. You know, you're more likely to hire someone you know than someone you don't know because you'll know about them. I mean, that's, I, mean I imagine that's in every field. You, you, you're, you're, you know, and I'm sure, look, the proverb, better the devil you know, kind of uh, isn't there for no reason. And, um, you know, and I'm not naive enough for one second to think it's unique to teaching either, this nepotism, but it just seems more vulgar. In the teaching profession then let's say a private business um, when that's passed on to a family member you know for example i don't think anyone complains bitterly when they hear of a founder of a company passing on their business to his or her son or daughter i mean isn't that you know wasn't there a tv series succession was not what that was based on and if the lead character of succession was a teacher it might make another compelling series, you know? I don't know. Maybe maybe we should do a succession of, with teachers and the, the teacher retires and hires... And, you know, his children are vying for his, the, the principal position in that school. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going way out of my depth here because I watched the first three episodes of that show and I, I really didn't like it, so... To be honest, I, I I haven't a clue. Anyway, it should go without saying that nepotism shouldn't exist in our education system. And it, sh- and it shouldn't. It absolutely shouldn't. And I don't think it's good for the profession. And given that our interview processes are supposed to be open and transparent and points based, it does make a bit of a joke of it when it's very obvious it's happening. But when we have 3,200 little fiefdoms, it's very likely that jobs are gone before the jobs are advertised. So what is it that we can do to avoid the system being abused? And the answer, of course, lies not too far away. I was very grateful to somebody who worked in Scotland to get a flavor of a system over there. And I think what we'll do is we'll try and learn from Scotland. Often we live in our little ponds here and we think what we happen in Ireland we think what happens in Ireland is totally normal. And well, we all know all well I, 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 I'm, I'm blue in the face talking about how some of the normal practices we have in Ireland in schools is not normal. For example, single-sex schools. For example, Catholic church controlling 90%. These are not normal things uh, anywhere in the, in, in the world. Um, so let's look at how Scotland works. So here's what this person said. Hi Simon, I'm just contacting you in relation to my experience of interview processes. I studied in Scotland and their interview process was as follows upload an extremely detailed cv on a database there's a template provided with questions and headings everyone who wants an interview is called so you're you if you apply you are called for interview all interviews take place over a week or two in different zones in a town and there's three interviewers per panel normally all principals so no priests and um, everyone is asked the same four questions so it's four questions Obviously, you're at you're at a disadvantage if you're first. I don't know what that means, but I suppose that's the same in in, in most jobs. If you're up first, and um, some people argue that's a disadvantage. I don't. I I've never really had that experience to be honest with you. And um, when I'm interviewing, it it didn't really matter when you were called. I uh, uh, but. Um, I suppose that's his opinion or her opinion, but you have a fair idea of what themes or topics that might come up. Interview answers would be very detailed and could take up an hour to answer your four questions. Wow. Points system is determined what contract you're going to get, okay? So your points in the interview is what contract you're going to get. If you get 18 to 20 points, you get a permanent job. 15 to 17 gets a fixed term for two years and then permanent. And anything under 15, you sub for the year and reapply the following year. So potentially you could have a permanent job one year after college. You then decide where you'd like to work um, he thinks uh, he or she thinks it was by area because you could, you could put down a list of schools you'd specifically like to work in i think it was a brilliant process they say so really interesting kind of thing that you're and i mean this is something i think is a really good idea uh, rather than having to interview for and uh, 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 apply for individual schools I think it makes a lot of sense to apply to a region or an area or whatever it might be. And you might wonder why we don't have a system like that when you where you apply to an area rather than have to apply to, for jobs in individual schools. Um, and, you know, the thing about doing that is it would certainly reduce nepotism, for sure, a system like Scotland. Um, because, you know, you won't... If you apply to an area... Uh, rather than to an individual school with local people on the interview panel in in your, lo- uh, you know, rather than just kind of three principals from an area who won't know you from Adam, um, it's very, very likely that nepotism is not going to happen. Um, I suppose the answer to Ireland's problem, as you probably will know, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, is that the patronage system that we have ensures that every single primary school is its own private fiefdom so yes you won't be surprised i am blaming the church for yet another thing and that probably won't surprise you i could be wrong but i believe at second level when you apply for a job in an etb you could be placed with um, in a number of schools you don't apply just to one school you apply for uh, you apply to that area and you could be uh, put in any of their schools or you could certainly be moved uh, around different schools uh, all right I, I certainly have heard um, of teachers being moved around different DTP schools but again it's second level is a it's a, a different beast altogether and I don't quite know how that works we, we kind of though I suppose one of the lessons I suppose from this podcast episode if, if, you've, if you've learned anything i guess is we have to admit that our recruitment processes in our education system need to be more transparent and open we have to admit that the system is rife withholding jobs for family members local sports people and so on we have to admit that this isn't desirable on so many different levels whether it's because a system like this locks out people who don't come from a teaching dynasty or people from diverse backgrounds or even that it is simply just unethical to do what we're doing I haven't got time to talk about the principal recruitment um, and some of the major flaws in there. In fact, that could be an episode in its own right. So I might come to that again. Um, I guess, I suppose, you know, if there's any words of wisdom I can um, depart on just from my own experience as being a principal of, of a school who looks, who's probably looked through thousands of interview applications. Um, and the advice I, I suppose I always give to people when they're filling in a form Is the most important question, I think, um, on the application form is about the ethos. Uh, And I mean that whether you're applying for Catholic schools or whether you're applying for uh, other types of schools. Uh, That's the place where you can really get personal about your passion uh, for um, whatever the ethos of the school is. And it can make a massive difference and i would it's one question where i would be critical let's say of the uh, job interview coaches because they have a prepared answer and what i would really suggest is while it's okay it's very very bland and it doesn't make make anyone feel you know oh you this person really really cares about my about about my school and speaking of which the second piece of advice is and i said I mentioned this before is instead of applying Uh, for a hundred jobs with the same application just changing the name of the school pick five schools you'd really love to work in and make sure they know you'd really love to work there and the way they will know that you'd really love to work there is that you will have your standard application form will say exactly why you'd really love to work there and i'm not saying you just go from your website i can see that you're this one of these templates and you know a template mile away from their website i can see that your school is passionate about you know because what what you need to do is you need to know what that school is about so how do you know well i presume if you love the school you really want to work there you probably know a little bit about them so find out ask people and um, try and do a day subbing in the school try and get a bit of sub work and um, try and do their july provision and um, if you'd really like to work there apply for that and um, there's loads and loads of things you can do to show that you really really want to work in a school your standard application form is another way where you can just be very personal be uh, be clever when you're doing it and um, that would be i suppose a few i don't know pearls of wisdom for for once for a better word and um, the the uh, I I I'd suggest they would be I guess my two top two pieces of, of advice. So that's it. I want to thank everyone that replied to my question, and I hope my analysis of them has given you some food for thought. Um, I I mean I I I have to say, as I said earlier on, because I went through that awful system of the nepotism and the jobs already gone, I swore if I ever became a principal and I was job interviewing and all the rest, I would be absolutely fair and. You know that's led me to some difficult situations where I've not hired people that have worked in my school and been really really great. When the job interviews came along, um, and someone did a better interview, unfortunately, that's uh, how the cookie crumbles. It's it's not nice for, for for anybody, and maybe you know I think there's imperfection really on for uh, both the candidate and for the school. I really, really think we should be looking at Scotland um, and probably lo- <laughs> multiple countries at how they do their hiring. And I think um, the idea, and I've, I I argue for this, so I suppose it's not a, a huge leap, I argue for a local educational authority to control our schools rather than um, individual schools uh, being their own fiefdoms under a, kind of a large banner of a denominational sector and, and a very small, basically, um, a multi-dominational sector so anyway that's uh, that's that's uh, kind of going in a bit too deep for a conclusion but i guess i mean for me long story short fixing the job application system and uh, fixing it really properly it's going to require an overhaul of patronage and that as i said, won't surprise you however once we have schools under one state body we can work a recruitment system similar to scotland and other countries and if i were the minister for education that's exactly what i'd do so there you have it uh, that's uh, a little bit on job interviews nepotism GAA players priest nieces and all the rest of it and uh, a few thoughts of my own on it uh, and i hope you enjoyed that if you are going for interviews the very very best of luck in your job hunt uh, you know you would i suppose take it that the system is as it is and unfortunately there's nothing you can do about it just don't lose heart keep applying you never know um that what jobs are out there even if you think a job is already gone go for it and um, because you never know you absolutely never know anyway that's it from me for this time uh, thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you again very very soon bye bye